The reading this evening is taken from the book of James, chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. James 1, 18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Mandy. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Very quiet. It's the muffle, isn't it, of the, of the face mask. You just can't hear people. Well, um, let me just take a moment to pray, shall we, for us? God, our Father, thank you so much for your word. And um, please speak to us through it now, we pray. We pray that the Spirit will be our teacher and help us apply it to our hearts and our lives. Um, for, for without you, we can do nothing. And we pray that you will be at work amongst us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the football season started. That probably divides the, the, <laughs> divides the church pretty rapidly. Um, football season started. Um, uh, Fever Pitch by Nick Hornby. Who's read this? It's quite an old book. It's, it's going to be pretty much blokes, isn't it? I can see that already. <laughs> Fever Pitch by Nick Hornby. I read it about 23, 25 years ago, something like that. It's, it's a semi-autobiographical um, book, account of an Arsenal fan, um, of the highs and lows of uh, being a fan, and um, it, it talks really about, and there's also a film made of it, you might have seen the film, it talks about um, how being a fan affected everything in their lives. So um, there's a very funny scene at one point in where um, the guy is, is, is uh, and his partner are trying to, to organise 
a summer holiday, a summer break, a summer vacation. And, um, of course, he's trying to hold off because in his mind he's thinking about the pre-season friendlies that are going to happen. That's the kind of fan that this guy, Nick Hornby, was of, of Arsenal. Now, and many of us are familiar with that kind of concept of being a fan, aren't we? Um, being fanatical about a, a hobby or about a football team or whatever it might be, it could be anything, um, is generally seen as a good thing, isn't it? And we, we like that. Um, being fanatical is generally accepted in most areas of life, but what about when it comes to the matter of faith and religion? People get a bit fearful, don't they? They get a bit worried about the idea of fanaticism. People don't mind uh, you toying with religious ideas, and but you know they don't want you to be committed or become in any way fanatical. It's an interesting, isn't it? James here speaks into this kind of attitude. He says in verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. James wants us, in a sense, to be fanatical about the word of God, doesn't he? He wants us to move it to move from our, our heads into our hearts into our hands, into the way that we, we act and the way that we live and the way that we serve. How does the word affect us in this way? How, how is it going to do that? Well, number one, the word of God will humble us. The word of God will humble us. Verse 18, he, that's talking about God the Father, chose to give us birth through the word of truth, which means that the Holy Spirit, taking the word of truth, the Bible, the word of God, what it says about God, what it says about Jesus, about you and me, and it brings it home to our, to our heads and our hearts. It's really, really important. The Bible is the way we're initiated into new life. And that word comes to us through the Holy Spirit. We're told and it makes us, verse 18, a kind of first fruits of all he created. What's this first fruits thing about? What's that about? Well, in, when uh, James is written, uh, if you went out into harvest in those days to collect the harvest, it was done in stages. And the first crop, the first stage, was always given to God. It was offered to God. It wasn't yours to keep. You gave it away, you gave it to God. And what he's saying is here is that a Christian is someone chosen by God who gives themselves first to God. You're a first fruit to God. You've given yourselves first to him. That's a that's about humility, isn't it? That's about being humbled by the word of God. It's saying I'm no longer my own. Um, I, I've given myself to him. I'm now a fan of his. I'm a fan of his. I'm no longer get to call the shots. And so James really pushes this uh, in verse 21. He says, humbly accept the word planted in you that brings those first fruits which can save you. So 
so the Bible, it's not just good advice. It's not just good instruction to us. It's good news to us. Um, and we must place ourselves under it. We must place ourselves under it, not over it. Someone once said, it's not so much that we thumb through the Bible. It's that it thumbs through us as we humble ourselves. So it brings new birth. So that first thing is that, that uh, when we encounter the word of God, it, it humbles us. And that's the first thing that will bring about change. The, the second is the word of God will move us. It just doesn't sit there humbling us. It moves us. Um, verse 27, really important. Look at that. It's right at the end of our reading. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In a sense, I think this, this, set, this uh, verse could in some ways summarise the whole of, of James. The mark of whether you're a fan, as it were, um, that you have birth through the word of truth. There's two things he says here. The, here's the evidence that you are a fan. It's one, you look after orphans and widows. And number two, you keep oneself polluted from the world. Now, it's really, understand, really important for us to understand here what James is not saying. He is not saying that these two things are the content of our faith. This is not how you are saved by doing these things. Um, the content of faith is always the atoning death and victorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That's what saves us. Care for orphans and widows and to keep oneself um, being, from being polluted by the world are the expression of our faith in the world. It's a consequence of the gospel of believing in Jesus Christ. So here are the two marks of true faith, of being a true fan, if you like, that you're a Christian, that you really have encountered the living Lord Jesus through, through the word of God. You have social responsibility. They're going to come up. Social responsibility, care for the poor and the, and the vulnerable, the marginalized, those in need, those around us that we see are in need of help. The second mark is not only social responsibility, but... It says, keep yourself, keep yourself from being polluted by the world. That, what's that about? That's about inner purity, isn't it? Um, James picked that up and expanded on that earlier in the reading. Verse 19, he says, what does he say? Slow to speak, slow to get angry. They're, they're about inner purity, aren't they? Verse 21 says, get rid of moral uh, filth and evil. Again, they're about, so, about um, inner purity. So if you look through the Bible, and if you look in, particularly in the prophets, you will find this. They always keep these two things together, inner purity and moral um, responsibility together. Um, probably one of the best places to look is Amos for this. Amos, there's a great verse, Amos chapter 2, verse 7. Um, he says this, in the same breath, it says, they trample on the needs of the poor and deny justice to the oppressed. That's the social responsibility. And immediately he says, Father, 
and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. That's the pollution of the world and the, in the purity in the same verse. In other words, you, you don't care about the poor and the needy and you're engaging in sexual immorality. That's what he's saying in that, those verses. And the Bible, what I'm trying to explain is the Bible keeps these two things together. And so often our problem is we tend to, they tend to fall, we tend to drive them apart somehow and fall off on either side of them. It, we tend to fall into some sort of ideological or political um, kind of tribe or way of thinking. If you're from a more socially liberal background, you tend to focus on the poor and the oppressed and accepting and more accepting of people whose lives are perhaps more um, a lifestyle that are not according to the scripture. Or if you're more from the, the more uh, conservative, uh, traditional, you tend to talk about family values and about being against immorality, but never speak up against the oppressed or giving only lip service to what happens to the most vulnerable in our society. But if you look at the word of God, it always puts these two things together. And that's one way we know that we're coming under the word of God. Personal purity, social responsibility go hand in, in hand. world tries to divide those two things. And the Bible moves us to embrace them and to be a fan of both. That's the second thing. The word of God will move us in those areas, undoubtedly. Thirdly, I'm going to take a little bit longer over this, is the word of God um, will free us, will free us. So the word humbles us and the word moves us into action. But how? How does it do that? Well, in the middle of our passage, just, um, we're going to pick up on the ways in which the word of God operates in our, in our lives, in our thinking, and in our hearts, and in our, in our wills. Let me read verse 23 again to you. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So firstly, um, how this operates in our life, how it comes about, is we must look intently at the perfect law of God. We must look intently. So this is, this is a, about gazing um, at the word of God. And, and to this, this intently looking at is actually the same word that Peter used when he went to the empty tomb on the third day. When he looked in at the tomb... He was gazing in, but he was thinking as he was gazing in, and his mind was going in kind of overdrive at what he was seeing, trying to work it out, to kind of compute what he was seeing, that Jesus' body was no longer there, trying to pull the facts together, assessing the situation, working it out, and the implications of what was going on in his, in his mind, ready then for action. That's what we're supposed to do. Every day with the, with the Bible, with the Word of God, the perfect law of God, we're supposed to look it, intently at it, look expectantly at it, ready for the implications, kind of wrestle with it, um, heed its call to go. 
And I don't know, how intently are you doing that? That's a question for each of us, isn't it? How intently are you doing that? Perhaps you need some help with that. We can love to help you with that. If that's something I can do, let me know, or Chris afterwards. So in the sense, this is like the, the rational thinking bit. This is the head engagement. Um, the second, secondly, comes a, a personal challenge. Hopefully it'll come up, which is more about the heart. We need to be challenged in our hearts. In a sense, this is where the word of God gets up up front and in your face. Um, it's the metaphor in, in, in here in verse 23 of the mirror. I hope you noticed that. We're to gaze into the word uh, as if we were gazing into a mirror. Um, and of course, what does a mirror do? It reflects back at you, doesn't it? This is, this is hard for us. This is always difficult. Um, there is something called isotropophobia. Does anyone know what that is? It's the fear of mirrors. It's actually quite pop, it's quite popular is not the right word, but it's quite, <laughs> it's quite, uh, a few people have this, a fear of mirrors. People who are afraid to see themselves in the mirror. But remember the word of God isn't um, a textbook telling you abstract things. It's not, you know, it's not like an academic study of the word of God. What does it do? What does the word of God do? It, it stares back at you and it, it tells you who you are, doesn't it? it? It looks at you and it tells you who you are. And so when you hold the word of God up like a, a mirror, you see, what do you see? You see all the wrinkles you see the saggy bits. You see all the tiredness in your eyes. Sometimes you see the sparkle of hope and dreams that you have. Sometimes uh, it shows you when you're picking your nose, I suppose. <laughs> or when your clothes don't match, which is often what my wife tells me. Um, but when the word of God operates like this, like a, a mirror... It feels like the word of God is really talking to you personally, doesn't it? You go, oh, that's, that's me. That's, I, I see myself here. And it's like it's talking to you, you personally and it's challenging you and it's supposed to challenge you. It's supposed to. to and it, we're supposed to listen to what it's saying at that point intently because you know what? That is the Holy Spirit at work in us. It's his word. He comes and he speaks to us, he exposes us, he warns us, he convicts us, he challenges us, he counsels us and he comforts us. He does all sorts of things at that moment, depending on what he's saying through his word. He says, you know, he says to us as we look at it, as we gaze at it, are you really going to do that thing? Are you really going to do it? When are you going to forgive that person that you've been so angry about? When are you going to walk over to that fellow Christian who you've been avoiding? It's that kind of thing. But maybe it's a word of comfort as it, as it, as it reflects back at us. Maybe the word of God says to us, oh, you, I know how tired you are. I know you need my comforts. You need to hear that you're a child of God and I love you and I can keep you and I can sustain you no matter what. You are mine. You're one of my children. The word of God acts like that. It's like a mirror. It counsels us, exposes us, it convicts us, it shows us what we need. Have you, the challenge for us is, have we ever been personally 
challenged like that through the word of God in our hearts. So it affects us. So you see yourself and you see who you are. Thirdly, um, thirdly, it's going to come up. There we go. We seek action. We must seek ongoing action as we engage with the word. This is about the hands. Um, if you look intently into the law, you see yourself. And what you see is the need for ongoing action. It's very interesting, verse 25. There's a little phrase that's easy to overlook in verse 25. It says, look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it. And continues in it. It's really important. It's not, he's saying it's not a a one-off tick box exercise. It's an ongoing thing to keep practicing, keep obeying, keep living out the commands of God. This is what the reformers used to call um, the perseverance of the saints. The perseverance of the saints is to keep going. Um, it's all very well saying, you know, I used to do that thing 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, and I just kind of stopped doing it now. I know it's a good thing, but that was when I was 20 years ago. Well, the Word of God says continue to do it. Keep going in it. Finally, I want to just speak about the, what is the result of all this. If you do all these things, verse 25 says that you will be blessed. But it's more specific than that. What does it mean to be blessed specifically here? Well, it's that word there that, that crops up in verse 25. It's that it gives freedom. Looking intently into the perfect law that gives Freedom. So if you look intently into the law, into the word of God, see what it's saying to you about yourself and about God, and continue to do what it says, you will be free. It'll set you free. And you kind of think that, and you hear that, and you think to yourself, well, hang on a minute, freedom? How can a law bring freedom? Um, we think of law, don't we, in a very negative way. We tend to define freedom as freedom from restrictions in a sort of totally negative way. So like uh, we have parking laws, it might be restricted parking on this side of the road, um, but not on this side of the road. But we, we would say, we tend to say very negatively, we're not free to park anywhere. And so we frame it in the negative language, right? Um, we define freedom in that the absence of restrict- restrictions. Law then is perceived in that it takes away freedom. That's how we perceive it, it that it takes away freedom. So how can James see, say here in the same verse that it's the, the law, the word of God bring, gives perfect freedom? Gives freedom. Well, the Bible shows us that there's another way of looking at law and looking at freedom in a much more positive sense. You are free. You are free when you realize that you're free truly to be what you are, were created to be, what you were built to be. You're free when you realize your true self 
and who you really are and your true nature and how you were built for God. Let me um, try and explain it with this illustration that um, I was given once. Imagine a fish. A fish has what? Gills, doesn't it? And um, what do gills need to do, need to do um, in order to extract oxygen? Um, not air, like us humans, but they need water, don't they, in order for a fish to get oxygen. The fish has fins. The fins don't work very well over land, do they? But they're great in water. Imagine a fish. Fish has water and it has land. Where should the fish not go? Oh, you're really on the ball now. <laughs> I know we've got masks on, but you, you can <laughs> shouldn't go on the land, okay? Um, now, if you define freedom as an absence of restrictions, then you're saying, well, the fish is re- isn't really free unless it's freer to go on the land. You have to let the fish be on the land as well as the water and wherever it wants to go. And it could be a very rebellious fish, couldn't it? So I'm going to go onto the land. I want to exercise my freedom without restriction, to be who I want to be wherever I want to go. Let me flop around on the land, on the hot land. How is the fish going to do? It'll be a very dead fish very quickly. The answer is unless the fish is restricted to the water, it loses its freedom. Because you see, true freedom, if you define it positively, is the ability to fulfill what you were built to do, to fulfill your true nature. It's the same for each one of us. When you look at the Bible, what do you see? Do you just see a book of restrictions? Do you look at it and see just restrictions? taking away your freedom. Well, if we come to God's word and we look intently at it with our heads, with the work of the Holy Spirit, we will challenge our hearts, that will affect our hands, and it will move us out into action. And that will make us free. That will be freedom, true freedom. People, you and me, to be the people that we're created to be, by a loving Heavenly Father. One further thing before an end. Um, I want to say one thing. When you look at the Word of God, you see yourself, but don't just see yourself. And I haven't got long to go in, into this. There's some great passages where um, I could recommend about um, who else you see looking back at you. Um, When you look into the Word, don't just see yourself. When you hold up a mirror, um, don't just see yourself. If you do, what will happen is you'll tend to just see yourself and see all all the difficulty and the bad stuff, and you'll feel guilty and you will feel paralyzed and crushed because you know just how far you fall short of God's standard and of God's law. But when you hold up the mirror and you hold up the Word of God and you see yourself... Look for Jesus Christ, because you will find him there when you look up the word. And you'll see him looking back at you. The only person who has ever, never, ever forgot 
the word of God, who kept it perfectly, see the only man who did the entire word of God, and he did it for you, to give you his righteousness. The only man who completely fulfilled the law, head, heart, hands, because of the atoning sacrifice for sin, who rose in victory on the third day for you and for me to to give us freedom, to give us freedom from sin so that we could live out the life he's called us to. So when you get the word of God, look intently at it, see yourself, but look for Jesus because he's there. In fact, he's everywhere as you look at the word of God. Shall we pray? God, our Father, we... Um, thank you for your word. And so often we're not fans. We're, we're kind of lukewarm, fair weather fans. Father, we pray that as we look at your word, as we come under it, you'll stir us, you'll stir our hearts, you'll, the Holy Spirit will affect us, that we may become fanatical about your word in the right positive sense so that it would affect our heads, that it would soften our hearts, and it will move us out into action with our hands. Show us how we can um, live this out, we pray. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.